0: Welcome to The Brew, a platform where we have open conversations in the lens of our generation, inviting interesting guests from all walks of life to discuss topics ranging from business to technology to sustainability. Enjoy the show over a freshly brewed cup of coffee or tea to start your morning. Welcome to The Brew. I'm your host, Valtteri Salomaki. and today I'm joined by two special guests all the way from Singapore. We got Ryan and we got QZ uh, from Tribe, and Tribe is an um, accelerator, oh, they have an accelerator inside of it, which they're focusing on blockchain technologies, which we'll be talking about today. The world of blockchain is quite complicated. So before we start going into those more complicated things and trying to demystify a lot of things in the world of blockchain, I'll give a chance to have you both introduce yourself. So Ryan, how about you get started and give a little brief introduction about yourself. Cool.
1: Thanks so much, Val. Uh, Hi, everyone. I'm Ryan and I'm currently the COO of Tribe as a Group. So within Tribe, we actually have a couple of business units, right? Uh, And Accelerator is one of them. And the other one that we are focusing on right now is the academy to help groom the next generation of frontier tech talents yeah
2: uh sir. hi so i'm sir. bell just called me qz i usually go by my initials these days um (laughs) (laughs) as a student i actually did some research on blockchain technology mostly from a security kind of perspective and that sort of brings you into all aspects of blockchain because when you talk about security you talk about how do you make sure things don't break or how do you understand why things go? So now I'm working at try, running the products out of the house with Ryan.
0: Awesome. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about blockchain here. So before we even go into blockchain, we have to at least explain what is blockchain as simply as possible. So I, I think QZ, if you, you research this a little bit, I'm, I'm wondering if you could try to explain to me what blockchain is as simply as possible. Like It's very complicated. I think it goes over most people's heads, but what is blockchain?
2: So I think this is sort of a trick question because Mm -hmm. blockchain itself is just a data structure. So here's a fun fact that i to like like to explain when I talk about blockchain, which is when you read Bitcoin's first paper, right? It's an electronic peer-to-peer currency. You will not find the word blockchain inside it. Every time you control F, when you look at the PDF, you will not find the word blockchain. But you will find that very important picture where you have a data structure of a linked list where it's uh, essentially two blocks chained together by a single line right that pointer to the last block is what chains the blocks so the first explanation is quite simple basically blockchain is basically just uh, data packaged into blocks which is just like say, like a simple JSON file right and you have a pointer to the last file so that data structure actually brings about a lot of properties right Because what is kept in the next block is actually a hash of the last block and so very quickly what is a hash a hash is like a digital fingerprint right it's unique to a particular set of data which means that you cannot change it without somebody else knowing because you can just hash it yourself and that affords immutability so that's one more aspect of blockchain technology the next thing is that it is run on a decentralized network and these two things are really what creates um, what we call distributed ledger technologies that use this data structure. So that's where the more fun part comes in about blockchain technology, which is you can actually create things on a decentralized network that is immutable. And the way I like to explain it is that it gives rise to a new kind of asset. Mm-hmm. So if I also send you an email, right, what happens is that you can just copy it, right? And you know, simple economics: if you have infinite supply, there's no price. Okay. Right. So. How do you create an actual asset? You need to create some sort of scarcity. Mm-hmm. So in a distributed ledger, every single person can only keep a copy or all changes to that particular asset is recorded across the entire network, which gives it a sort of permanence. Like if I give you an apple, you can't just split and have two apples, right? <laughs> That's why there is some value to the apple. Yeah. When it comes to blockchain technology, you can create an asset. For example, now it's quite popular. Maybe I'm giving you something to segue into do, but... NFTs, right, this non-fungible token kind of thing. It's basically that, right, you have one single copy with one single owner, and it's distributed across the entire Ethereum network of like, I think now it's like 8,000 nodes. So Mm -hmm. no one person can simply change it. And that's the beauty of blockchain technology, right. Uh, I hope that sort of explains the dichotomy between the data structure and the technology itself. And, (laughs) and, And that's really where, you know, the... The, the, the difference is uh, where you can create uh, something completely new that is sort of autonomous that runs by itself. And then this brings me to the last bit of blockchain technology, which is the idea of these autonomous agents that exist only on the blockchain. And That's where the, the, the genius of Ethereum uh, started. And if you read The Infinite Machine, it tells you the whole story from 2016 of how it came about and discovered the limitations behind Bitcoin, the ability to write smart contracts. Right. And that has now become quite synonymous with blockchain technology because simply recording data on a distributed ledger is not enough. There's so much more you can do. You can actually record code that self-executes. And that is where, you know, the entire decentralized finance world, ICOs, everything, IEOs, liquidity farming <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, that's a very brief introduction to like 11 years of blockchain. <laughs> yeah.
0: no, no, I, I think that, that was very well put. I mean, overall... Like, I think where the misconception comes when it comes to blockchain is uh, people immediately will go to cryptos. I, I I think there's just a it's automatic like blockchain equals cryptocurrency when they're not really looking at blockchain. It's, it's a technology that enables cryptocurrencies, but it's not that crypto like it's not directly. They're not the same thing, um, I think. Uh, we had, we had one guest on. He was one of my information systems professors during at, at, my MBAs. And as well, he's, uh, he works for the county and he's working on how to implement blockchain into governmental kind of agencies and these things. And one thing he brought up I thought was unique was the way he was explaining blockchain is that it's it's solving the issue of trust. <laughs> and everything nowadays has a problem with trust when it comes to, you know, getting things notarized, getting legal paperwork for a business. Everything has this trust factor tied into it that's what blockchain does it eliminates that of having people involved and you create trust automatically through a network um but i mean you obviously broke down wh- how that actually happens because what does it mean to have trust through an online network um, we'll definitely talk about nfts i have a lot of questions tied into nfts i i think nfts are just a, this huge buzz thing that has some applications i think the way that it's talked about right now is a little worrisome to me uh when it comes to the overall application of blockchain but i mean so we, we hear about this thing called blockchain, but we hear cryptocurrency all the time. What is blockchain really useful for? Right. We we hear it for currency. We hear it for finance. And I think that's why it turns off a lot of people is because they're like I don't care about that world. Right. But blockchain can be used for so much more. Um, can you provide some like use cases, either of you gentlemen, on where blockchain can go, especially since you, you have an accelerator program, you're hearing these companies come in and, and pitch ideas that they have. Are
1: some applications that we can do with blockchain? Right. Um, maybe let me just uh, share a little bit first. So to contextualize things, um, how I see blockchain uh, being useful, as you mentioned, right, to create trustless, right? But from a business perspective, what does it actually help? What is the benefit of leveraging um, a blockchain technology to, to you know, um, improve your processes, right? So I see it in kind of um, two key factors. The first one is to reduce costs, right? To reduce costs of, number one, uh, networking, right? That means, you know, you you don't have to uh, blockchain is now relatively widely adopted, right? So you don't have to spend the additional cost to create that network infrastructure in order for something to work and the next one would be the cost of verification, right? So cost of verification can come in uh, time form, it can come in uh, economic sense, it can come in many many different kinds of uh, uh, um, so-called cost, right? Mm. As you mentioned, you want to eradicate the need for trust right, so to become trustless and, and what's the purpose of trust, right, is for me to, when I want to verify something, I need that level of trust, right. So if you are able to distill down to these two cost elements, then you can see how blockchain can be beneficial uh, for your business, right, then you can weigh, right, uh, whether the cost of verification at this moment outweighs whatever I can bring in. And that you have a business case. So one of the uh, examples I think uh, right now would be very relevant would be uh, one of our startups at Credify that is actually building a digital health passport, right? So can you imagine traveling right now, right? It's gonna be, it's it's, it's difficult, it's difficult, right? To travel and now you have to submit proof of uh, that you have um, taken the swab test and that you have been proven negative or if you have taken a vaccine you need to be able to prove that, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to be able to verify that. So from that perspective, how do you actually accurately verify if this person is telling the truth? You need a notarized form that is endorsed. You need to make sure that uh, there are checks and balances in place. Uh, there's there's a lengthy you know, verification process of whether uh, this particular document is accurate, it's true, it's notarized, and stuff like that. So that involves a lot of man hours. That involves a lot of so-called costs, Right. So what blockchain is able to do is that if you are able to upload, um, to some extent, your the, the proof that you have um, um, taken a swap and you have been proven negative, when is the last time, right, date stamped, um, mm-hmm. uh, date and time stamped, uh, the last time you have taken the swap test and you have been proven negative and you have taken vaccine, when exactly have you been taken uh, have you taken the vaccine, right? And that removes uh, I mean, reduces the the, the the cost of verification um that's required in order for you to enter a particular country right so so that is one of the use cases that uh, I mean, that would be quite relevant in this day and age. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Do you do you think as for like because I, I studied abroad a couple of times and one of the, the big issues was I, I was actually pretty sick when I was studying abroad in, in Hong Kong. Um, and when I was trying to go get um, like certain medications and stuff like that, it was, it was kind of a pain in the ass because they had, didn't have any of my medical you know, documents, records or anything like that. It's hard to back if you're in another country. So do you think that especially for international travelers or somebody who's moving right like through blockchain, somebody can pull up my, my medical records in seconds, know that it's accurate um, and be able to use it that way? Do you think that's another use case for it? I would say, uh,
1: to some extent, yes, but um, you don't really want anyone to be able to pull up your medical records, right? So, um, a way that that I have seen uh, being done would be just to to, to provide that binary answer. So, for example, you need to be of a a certain age before you can buy alcohol, right? So, the answer is binary, yes or no? Are you above or below that certain age? You don't need to know my birthday, you don't need to know anything else about me. You just need the binary answer. So that can be uh, done as well, right? I mean, the the, the how-to you have to ask things. Uh, You have to ask QZ, yeah. Absolutely. So,
0: yeah, so, so pretty much what you're saying is like, um, as for it's, it's public record, right? Like anybody can kind of pull this up and it's anonymous data, but it's still, it's public record. I mean, that's the, the mm-hmm. one thing that it's great about it. It's like, it's out there, but it's also out there. So it's a, it's a bad problem at the same time. So do you think, mm-hmm. as, especially then for, for data sets and stuff like that, it's more important to have, yeah, like the, the binary yes or no. Um, and you only show what you want to show that you can get that medical treatment, right? Like, um, yes or no uh on like a blood type something that's like it's not not too specific but it can get you that medical treatment that can save your life in a matter of seconds uh in another country where you might not have access to um your data records and all these kinds of things so do you think that's kind of the application it's like quick administration on very functional things that are like very you know detrimental to, if you don't have that access
1: yeah for sure right like like i mentioned the cost of verification so mm-hmm. in this case the cost of verification is life. Right. Yeah. So if you are, if I mean, if you delay that that uh, that 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 ability for for someone to check on simple basic stuff, mm-hmm. um, and and that can be that is actually verified by a, a, a proven authority, then then you die. So, in this case, the cost of verification is extremely high.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as, as for creating a system like this, right? Like this is this is where it gets it gets very technical very fast. Um, But now there's more and more tools, you know, accessible for people to create these solutions. So how would somebody go about, let's say that they had this idea of like something that's at high risk. How would they go even about like thinking conceptually, like how this gets built out in a blockchain system?
2: Right. So I think uh, you don't usually go from the build from scratch approach anymore. Blockchain has been around for quite a while. Off the top of my head. Uh, Because I was moderating a conference, I think on Sunday, and Sovereign Foundation was there. So what the Sovereign Foundation does is, and this is how the chairman explained it, which was that they run the largest identification uh, network so that they can give every item an identity, not just carbon-based life, which I was a bit surprised. Because I think then he elaborated by saying even IoT devices can also be given an identity. Like right now, your computer probably has a Mac address. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's my guess of where he's going with that. So the first one is actually through the Sovereign Foundation, where they try and provide what you call decentralized identity or sovereign identity. Um, for that, you can look a bit deeper into the, I think, the W3C Consortium for Decentralized Identifiers, where they actually um, codify like exactly how this identifier will look like. So that's one. Uh, interestingly, we had a chance to work on this with WeBank, Uh, as part of our student practicums we provide some sort of simple decentralized id uh for contact tracing so it was a very simple smart contract where where every time you enter you actually record an event that you entered the building or you didn't and if you have an exposure event you just click and then you just pull out all the records and okay you know it's all there so that's one way right if you were to use a public blockchain for a lot of these use cases actually you don't use public blockchains uh for the reasons that ryan has actually explained privacy is quite So the other side of the house, I think, is hyperledger Indy, um, and this was really interesting because uh, it's not just for medical records, right? It's about giving you an identity that is verifiable, verifiable credentials, right? For hyperledger Indy, I remember seeing somewhere where um, they use hyperledger Indy to verify the status of uh, bankrupts, I think, and that was in the Netherlands, right? Where you know, if you have to do something, you know, they'll be able to. Check whether you are uh, discharged bankrupt before you know you try and get the loan or something, or to see your progress uh, throughout this entire. I'm not familiar with the bankruptcy proceedings, but I think it's important to keep track of the person as you go along um, mm-hmm. this entire process. So that's one way. Um, when it comes to medical records, uh, it's actually quite sensitive. Uh, I'll talk about the benefits of having a decentralized one, um, and there was this very public. Uh, I suppose, scandal, where actually Singapore, I think, our country, uh, nationalized our medical records onto a national system called SingHealth, right. And I think it was 2019 where very publicly uh, it got hacked. Uh, I really commend the government for dealing with it very well. Everybody who had their medical records exposed got an SMS to say that, hey, you know, uh, you were, your, your medical records were exposed. I think our prime minister had this exposed. Uh, Two million records were lost. And that's one of the issues of having a 100% centralised system, right? In a decentralised system, um, the part where you can reveal what you want to show, that's part of what you call privacy preserving mechanisms. Um, And that particular way is something called zero-knowledge proofs, where you can just essentially ask a question, and all you will get is just the answer. So an example that they tend to give is really when you buy alcohol. I'm not sure why, but it seems to be a national, or international <laughs> problem, right? Where each buying of alcohol is a problem, <laughs> and so what happens is, right now when you go to uh, a convenience store, right, and you want to buy alcohol, you have to give them your ID, right? This this yep. could be your driver's license. It could be, it could be all sorts of things. But you're revealing way too much information to the to the cashier, right? Your your for us, you have your your housing address. Right, on your national ID, That is that can end up very detrimental. Mm. So instead, if there was just simply a verifiable credential, and some implementations of that have it just as like some sort of digital wallet, where you just show the person, he checks your ID, and all he gets, or he or she gets, is just yes or no. Whether you're underage or overage, nothing more. Right. And that's also the benefit of having a verifiable credential, rather than just some sort of like paper-based credential. Yeah. So that's maybe a bit more into what are some of the key words in terms of implementation. But there are many different types of implementation. Uh, generally, there are some principles here, you know, the right to privacy, I think, the right to forg- being forgotten, like some of these digital rights. Um, these are the guiding principles when uh, people try to implement these sort of identity uh, systems. Got
0: it. I mean, I, I think one important thing that you just brought up, which is, how blockchain also leads to more privacy uh, which i think is is, has become a problem now with the way that online mediums can be tracked so easily like anywhere you go you know all your behaviors they know everything you're clicking on they know all your search history nothing that you get for free is free i mean someone at you get a gmail account all that is queryable i mean anything you do with your google account they can track back to you um so do you think that's the other part that blockchain is going to be able to solve right is that that data privacy for the consumer Um, And also, I guess the question also tied into that is being able to later monetize your own data. Because that's one thing I I do believe that we're eventually gonna get to where it's like consumers will be willing to give their data out there, but only to the companies they want to um, and being able to be compensated for providing their data to create data sets. It's a complication between marketers. I'm a marketer myself, I want my data. But at the same time, (laughs) I understand the consumer side. I don't like to be tracked everywhere. Um, so do you think blockchain is, uh, there's there's use cases of the technology to create this privacy network for the consumer end? Yeah, I,
1: I think uh, that we have heard multiple use cases on this particular data marketplace, right? Uh, um, it's quite a common use case. Um, and it is to some extent valid, right? To, to be able to um, you know, verify that your, your, your data has been used in this way and your data has been used in that way, right? And he has been exposed to this person or that he has been exposed to that person. And um, and I want to get paid for it, right? Because, you know, it's my data. How are you using my data without uh, without pay? But um, in terms of adoption, uh, I think there isn't one that is quite widely adopted as of now. I might be wrong, right? Um, but yeah. So so it's definitely a valid use case, it's just, I think it could be a matter of time, right? Uh, And the right kind of execution in order for for these kind of solutions to be widely adopted and implemented, yeah. Got
0: it. My thoughts on that QZ?
2: I think think the first question is why do you want to track data? So primarily, I think targeted ads are very good because it saves me search costs. (laughs) I don't like to be recommended random things. Like, during the lockdown, I got recommended, like, cocktails uh, on delivery. And that was a lifesaver, man. <laughs> sure it was. <laughs> so, I think the difference here is that you no longer have to track people that much. I think just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? And Google can, and but they shouldn't do this. They shouldn't yeah. track you across browsers. And that's ridiculous, right? Now they track you across devices. They track you across... <laughs> I don't know, accounts, right? They can tie different accounts to it. It's ridiculous. But the reason for this is because uh, they have a business model, right, mm-hmm. in advertising. And when you want to advertise uh, with the power of machine learning, you can do a collaborative filtering, you can, you know, Netflix is really good at this. They can recommend you things that you really want and that provides a good user experience.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. But that's only if you have a vast data warehouse that you can verify, you know, because you're watching every single thing a person is doing that, okay, this person is really interested in that. Some other implementations uh, that sort of solve this problem that I've come across is actually um, one of our companies that we also work with, uh, Zilliqa, where they actually came out with this thing called Social Pay. Right? And this is interesting because when I first heard of it, I was like, why didn't I think of it? Because it's, it's so simple, right? Like a lot of people have Twitter accounts, but Twitter hasn't been able to really monetize it a lot. Maybe they have uh, feature tweets, that kind of thing. I think they have, uh, maybe Jack Dorsey didn't want to deliberately monetize all your most deepest thoughts on the (laughs) internet. But also, what's interesting is that how the social pay mechanism works is you sign up for this, so it's completely voluntary, right? You decide, okay, I want to be a part of this uh, marketing uh, campaign, right? So you put out your Twitter handle, I think it's called handle, right? Twitter handle and Mm. your Zeta wallet. So what happens is say there's a marketing campaign and you repost or you post uh, some some words or or, or a short banner with the hashtag like i think the time was covid heroes something right straight away the bot picks it up and pays you for helping people market Mm. and that's really very different right because not too long ago apparently uber spent i don't know it's 30 but i think 300 sounds more like it 300 million dollars on facebook ads And then they were like, okay, I need to cut because my cash flow isn't doing so well. They cut to 150, but apparently they didn't really see any difference in performance of their ads. Mm. Which now begs the question, what the heck is Facebook doing? How come (laughs) I can cut my ad spend and I still have the same performance? So you go back to what blockchain is good at, right? The whole uh, immutability, decentralization, permanence, right? verifiability. Now you can create verifiable ads
0: because Mm. you see it,
2: you're paid for it. And you don't have to rely on these centralized aggregators right you don't have to trust them so you go back to the whole trustlessness thing now i can do ads in a word of mouth way something we've been doing for like three thousand four thousand years in a very normal way rather than relying on this very large sort of monopolistic i can say this now because they've not sued, right but very large sort of monopolistic ad marketplaces that control the entire ad life cycle from not just like bidding for ads all the way to who actually gets to see the ads right now you can sort of decentralize that and create more automatic ad marketplaces and you still see what you want so maybe that's the it's a different sort of approach where the question is do you really need to track anybody everybody now you don't have to do mm-hmm. it anymore and also uh you can still sort of achieve what you wanted at the very beginning which is you know target ads yeah. so i
0: that's think that's tip. <laughs> no that's that's super 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 fascinating like the, the the whole constantly kind of brought up with being able to have people get paid to share a message or expand it out i think that's so powerful because in the world of marketing what creates social credibility creates any value behind it like you can run an ad in front of people right and it'd be a great ad um but it, it's not gonna make people click because the, the fundamental of human behavior comes from other people talking that's why word of mouth still is the dominant form of marketing is because if you can say somebody else speak on your behalf authentically about what you're doing you already get that barrier of i don't know this brand now let's give it a shot let's see what they can do and can they actually solve my problem um and you can get through that barrier faster so i think that's actually really fascinating if you can enable people to get paid to do that on your behalf because influencer marketing is expanding really fast and it's becoming more and more dominant um, versus any other mediums. And then uh, pay-per-click marketing is getting way more expensive and it's not yielding those results. So it's kind of like this 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 fight of like, what what is my next tool for a marketer? And then on the consumer end, um, if you can protect more of your data and get paid for more of your data and all these things, I think that it'll it'll make more healthy of a advertising world and create more value for both parties involved. So I think that's a very, very fascinating concept when it comes to blockchain and the application of it. But I, I guess kind of tying into this is the... Before we go into NFTs, because I feel like that's going to be like 45 minutes by itself. But before we go into that, um, as for blockchain, as, as you brought up, there, there's the adoption, right? There's an adoption curve there, like any anything you're doing. And and I I, want, I was at the Blockchain Summit in LA uh, here in uh, 2019. Um, and one thing that was really fascinating about everybody who was talking about blockchain there was the biggest fundamental problem of getting that adoption is education around the solutions it's solving and not talking about the technology because as it was entered into the market, it was all technology driven. So technical and everyday person has no idea what the hell you're talking about. It's not going to create any adoption there because people don't know what it is. So have you noticed that there's now more kind of the adoptions growing because people are learning how to articulate the problem and how blockchain is solving it? And do you think that's getting better overall?
1: I think uh, it's very interesting that you pointed that out because it, if you notice, uh, uh, I mean, previously we, 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 we spoke about this, right, that you have uh, watched some of the demo day videos that we have. Mm-hmm. We focus very much on the problem that they're trying to solve because at the end of the day, that's what the, the, the technology is an enabler, right, that enables you to solve certain problems that you can't do otherwise, right. So that is actually the narrative that we are trying to, 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 to educate as well. Right. Uh, if you go, um, I mean, one of the platforms that we have built called Open Notes that is supported by uh, IMDA um, in Singapore, which is the Infocom Media Authority of Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so Open Notes is a platform that that is uh, trying to to bring out use cases from a problems perspective, from a use case perspective, right? Uh, without diving too much into the technology, because once you are sold on the use case, you're sold on the problem. It's big enough for you to pay for it. And then we get to the how-to, right? Mm-hmm. And the how-to more often than not is an incorporation of multi um, te- different kinds of technology, right? We have blockchain. There could be also IoT, machine learning, AI, right? All, 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 all um, um, cooked in one pot. Right? Mm. in order for, for you to be able to come up with a solution. So I think, yeah, I mean, that's absolutely right. And if that is the trajectory that uh, blockchain narrative uh, is taking, then of course, we should be able to see a greater adoption because people now can understand and visualize how I can leverage on this technology to, to solve certain problems that, that I have, right? Yeah. Another
2: analogy that I use is I'm old enough to remember dealing with modems When you work with blockchain technology, right? at the very beginning, you have to connect to the network, right? You get a test ether or your test whatever network you're using. That that alone, whenever I teach in any class, half the class quits. Straight away. It just doesn't, you can't get it. 2017, when I first started, you had to download an Ethereum node. Entire class quits. (laughs) People just can't do this, right? It's like at the past when you had to set up your home, Wi-Fi, LAN, remember the Cisco spider, right, that transformed the internet because it was so much easier, just take your LAN cable, plug it in, and then it runs. Right? Yeah. We need to get to that point where it's so much easier to create adoption by lowering all these barriers to entry. That takes time, so stuff like Infura API gateways, right, these gateways that make it easier for people to connect, that helps a lot. Another example is mobile uh, internet, right. I think internet adoption really exploded when mobile uh, became a thing, right? Because uh, you don't have to do anything. You just turn on mobile data and straight away, you are connected. All your apps are working. Uh, Apple is really good at this. All your apps automatically update, which is kind of creepy, because sometimes the thing changes. And I'm like, hey, what app is this? <laughs> <laughs> so that's the difference, right? When you first enter, uh, it usually starts with the technologist, right? And we are there clearing all the weeds, solving all the problems trying to make it so that next time, when you connect to a blockchain, uh, it doesn't feel so difficult. Mm -hmm. So, like for example, if you've used MetaMask, right, that really helped adoption. Because it's just this cute box, you click it, come down, put in your password, right, login, oh, which network do you want to connect to? Mainnet, testnet1, testnet2, your own net. And that user experience benefit has made it so much easier for people to use blockchain technology because before that, you gotta go command line <laughs> yeah.
3: and,
2: and everyone does not <laughs>
1: uh, i mean at the end of the day you, you don't even know you don't even need to know how it works right just like mm. how you're con- like what uh, uh qz mentioned right on on your mobile phone you t- i mean you don't even know how it's connected at this moment mm. right like all you know is if there's no network you know you try to raise your hand as high as possible but mm-hmm. yeah that is the extent of what layman uh, un- would understand how the technology works but it works Right, so we have to get to that that point, that state, and then you can start to see, you know, uh, a wider wider adoption.
0: Got it. Yeah, that, that was, that's always been my fascination because I, I always like reading the technical specs and how it's going, but that that's not how mark, ever markets ever adopt anything. Because there was the smartphones before the Apple. There was there's always been technology before somebody else. But what tends to be that that click is when the 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 innovation can go at a certain pace and consumers can understand the tangible aspect of it um and do you think based off that right like we're now in a huge no code movement as well do you think that that's another part is like once we figure out ways that we can create blockchain solutions um leveraging no code do you think that's also when there would be a more massive boom because that doesn't rely on technical skills of a student it requires just more innovation and ideas um and someone who can understand design and and basics it doesn't need that technical lens do you think that's also going to be a huge Kind of a boom aspect when
1: it comes to the world of blockchain. Uh, yeah. Of co- I mean, <laughs> of course, right. <laughs> uh, but but I think this, uh, it would be some time before that can happen. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, it's not straightforward. You still do uh, have to understand certain elements of the uh, networking in order for you to, to 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 build something on the blockchain. Right. Um. But yeah, of course. I mean, if it's if you can get to the point where you can build application on the blockchain, like how you build a website on Wix, or or a website on WordPress, right, or or, or, um, what's the latest on Webflow maybe, right. Mm. Then, of course, you can see more and more, you know, applications that are leveraging on the blockchain start to come up because then you you kind of democratize the ability for people to build stuff on the blockchain, right. Right now, uh, it's very technical, right. Uh, Majority of the applications are built by technologists, right. Um, but if you if if you you, ha, you combine this with the no code movement, you allow you democratize the ability for people to build. Then you can see the massive influx of ideas because you know the, no one group of people have you know uh, uh, dominance over good ideas, right? Mm. Uh, so so you know then the ideas can come from anywhere now. So of course then um, we will see a wider adoption. But like I, I, I said earlier, I think it, it will take some time before we can actually uh, get to that point.
0: Yeah. Mm. yeah. No, no, that that makes
2: sense. yeah exactly but to get to no code you need standardized libraries mm-hmm. that that takes some time uh <laughs> ethereum is infamous for being very not secure because of the whole turing completeness thing which means that your entire attack surface is infinite right so anybody can do anything uh, there are all sorts of new vulnerabilities discovered uh, some vulnerabilities are just like coding mishaps, shafts like uh, people killing the wallet by accident that did happen like I think a few million dollars were lost so that's gonna take some time before (laughs) you can get to no code right because Mm -hmm. no code is when all the problems are solved already here are some use cases just take it and use it okay bye mix
0: (laughs) (laughs) out of the box kind of stuff yeah 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 yeah, we got we we have we have a long long ways to go into that um what, what do you think then on um as for adoption as well, we have to look at the threats of blockchain, right? And like restrictions that are kind of pushing it back. So obviously we have certain governmental regulations that are still kind of hindering on it. We have the, the, um, the kind of worry of, you know, money laundering, fraud, criminal activities. These kinds of things, the more anonymous, the more it opens the door for criminal activities. Um, do you think any of those are serious threats or they're more just conversation? Because I personally think that this is the first technology that's out there and it doesn't matter what anybody says, it's out there. Like it's not going to disappear, right? Like nobody can technically regulate it because it came from deregulation. So you can't just like now regulate and expect something to happen. But do you think any of these are serious threats that will uh, hinder the growth of blockchain and the adoption of it?
1: Um, I don't think it will hinder the adoption and growth of blockchain. Just like how when the, I, I mean, you have internet, right? You can do all sorts of shady stuff with the internet as well, mm-hmm. right? That has not hindered the growth and adoption of of the internet or or applications for that matter, right? Um, But in in terms of regulation, I think, uh, uh, you know, you you can't regulate something that hasn't happened. So, of Mm. course, regulation is going to be a a few steps behind. But what is important is for government, especially something like our Singapore government, that is very proactive in not just uh, um, trying to understand the industry but also taking a deep dive into what exactly are people trying to do with this technology, how can it improve and then coming out with their own use cases like uh, for example GovTech uh, launched the open certs right which allows us to put our tertiary education certification on the blockchain so that people can verify that you know you, you actually come from this particular school mm-hmm. yeah so so a very hands-on approach right to, 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 to uh, understanding the technology and then the next part of regulation is clarity because the grayer you leave some stuff the more people will be afraid to try Mm. right the clearer the regulation can become then we can see you know the the, the adoption uh can can come but but before that can happen you know you really need to be understanding and be be proactive right in the the industry from a of course from a regulatory standpoint yeah
2: i would totally agree actually in fact i guess a good mantra is like seek first to understand Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't regulate something that you don't know, right? And then you just, okay, ban it. Like, it's a a lazy approach. It's a lazy approach. (laughs) I think good regulation is actually quite healthy for society. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for Singapore, we are very pro on regulation. (laughs) Uh, And a good example is actually how we regulate the food industry. Uh, So uh, clean food, healthy food is important. Right? That means you have to regulate all aspects from the import to food handling, right? So if you want to start a shop in Singapore, you need to go for a food handling course. And there are like multiple levels. And only when you have a certificate, then we let you open the store, right? Because people's health are at risk. Right? So generally, when it comes to a public good approach, I think regulation is important. So financial health is just as important. Right? That's why actually, if I remember correctly, for MAS, uh, we regulate uh, digital assets like any other asset. It's, it's, it's just like a capital market asset why because it's very dangerous if you were to play the derivatives market and you were to do margins or you were to leverage right you somebody who doesn't understand who can't do that chart doesn't understand that there is unlimited upside or unlimited downside and when we mean unlimited it's really unlimited you could mm-hmm. lose your entire like net worth if someone plays a gme or you, right that's how risky it can be and this is exacerbated on uh, decentralized finance because you don't have a clearing house to protect you anymore. So, in stock exchanges, right, remember correctly, if the price drops by more than 15%, it just halt trading. Yeah. right? Because something is wrong. Right? How can the price disappear in 15% in like an hour? Somebody's manipulating or there's some sort of error. Right, in uh, the blockchain or cryptocurrency world, if you know what happened with the DAO attack in 2016, uh, there's no, nothing stops you Right now, in fact because it's so immutable uh, I think the hacker actually left a note That basically thanked the entire organisation for the free money And said, since you said code is law I exploited the code uh, Actually I didn't really exploit it, it is allowed Because code is law Thanks for the $160 million, bye-bye right. it's, it's that difficult And so regulation is important Because mm-hmm. if not, you end up with these bad actors, right? who are on the same playing field as you. Right? Decentralization also means that everybody is now equal. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's always a playing catch up kind of thing, right? Like police do uh, say like body cameras, then like the protesters will then do some sort of light thing so that the cameras don't work and then they move up to infrared. and It's always an arms race, right? Mm-hmm. In a decentralized world, this is like the ultimate evolutionary suit, right? Everybody is just doing things on on a completely decentralized world. This is the extent when many years ago there was crypto kitties, right? With mm. NFT, right? It exists as a single digital asset on the blockchain. People are trading it for ridiculous amounts. But you don't know that you can actually create like a wrapper or some sort of smart contract that specially interacts just with crypto kitties. So someone created crypto dragons where you're supposed to eat crypto kitties. And everybody has learned crypto zombies, right? When you eat crypto kitties too and you level up your crypto zombies, that is the level of interaction that you can have, right? In a typical finance world, there are standardized contracts, right? Puts, yeah. forwards, calls, options, like right? all these different uh, derivatives, remember correctly, are standardized, right? And so you can create a market, it's predictable, right? Nothing funny happens. If you choose to go for bespoke derivatives, the risk is on you. You should go and study it, but because it's so complex and the risks are all there, right, people are forewarned. Mm-hmm. Now, you show up, hey, this white paper, If you want to buy? It's not very... <laughs> people cannot make good decisions or so. Yeah. Yeah. So I think if regulation is going to happen, it's going to go through this way. So that's one approach, right, which is you regulate the types of uh, users, use cases for uh, blockchain, cryptocurrencies, digital assets. The other approach, which I'm finding quite interesting and a bit antithetical to the decentralized aspect of blockchain, are governments springing up their own blockchain networks. Mm. So one thing that I found quite surprising, because I only discovered it I think last year, is China is building its own blockchain service network. So I think Bitcoin jumped up, I'm not sure why, but when (laughs) uh, President Xi said in his speech, and I have a book in Chinese about blockchain actually, and says that we need to harness the power of blockchain technology for these, I think, four or five use cases, right, straight away, everybody moves, mm. right? Okay, we use it for this, all right, what are the use cases? Okay, presidency says this is fine, let's do it. And now China is using blockchain everywhere, because we, we have a privilege of working in WeBank, right? So sometimes when they present, and, and I see what they do, and it's ridiculous because you're like, oh, we're trying to get adoption material, like, oh, yeah, we got a whole city to use it for COVID, uh, 8 million people <laughs> you're like what right like 10 cents it by two? the entire copyright of books in China is on on sort oh wow yeah it's, it's it's amazing like you're like it's so mind-blowing right and then now they can also do micro loans because you know the regulatory landscape has cleared yeah right? so once the sky is clear then you can play in the field <laughs>
0: yeah
2: so I think this, this is a, these are the sort top of two approaches to to regulation yeah
0: yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, like, like for me overall is I, I, I get the appeal for most people where they don't want any regulation behind it because it's kind of that um, anarchist feel of why like, you know, cryptocurrency came about, why blockchain was invented or found out through exactly kind of the push against the markets and these kinds of things. But I do think that there's a lot of downside to that a lot of people don't talk about. Which is exactly what you talk about. It's Just I don't think the market is sophisticated enough, and it's kind of messed up to say that like you're not sophisticated enough as a human being. <laughs> but it's, 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 there's a lack there's a lack of education there, which which causes bad ideas, which causes massive implications when it comes to like you know anything globally. Like they, they, people don't really rationalize it. Like NFTs right now, I think it's a great segue into NFTs right now. It's just so irrational which worries me it's the same thing with the entire kind of crypto boom that happened in 2018 2017 2018 and then now we have nfts once again in the spotlight um, and people kind of peddling it um and and people don't understand it at all like they have zero clue what's going on but then elon musk can sell a tweet for 1.1 million dollars he didn't do it because he <laughs> felt unethical about it right but like can, can you guys explain to me how like when it comes to the world of like NFTs and stuff like that, is that something of value or is that something of hype? Because I, I do think it has applications, um, but as of right now, I'm, I'm very troubled by it just because of how it's hit the limelight and, and how people are kind of perceiving NFTs.
1: Well, I think in the long run, the, the value of NFT will, will be determined the, by, by willing buyer, willing seller. Right, Like, whoever is willing to buy at this particular price and whoever is willing to sell at this particular price, that is the price, mm-hmm. right? Um NFT at its core has merits, right, to some extent, um, especially for digital artists or, or maybe digital songwriter where you don't want your work to necessarily be uh, easily replicated and plagiarised. Uh, and and you should be able to track a particular uh, work to the, the origin. Alright, who exactly created it first? And then who has the right then to to sell it? Because you spend so much effort, so much time, so much education in learning how to build that particular or create that particular uh, art or that particular song. You don't want someone to, you know, just plagiarize it and, and, you know, make money off your your hard work, right? So that in itself has value, right? Uh, But the value in itself, the the actual value amount that at this moment, I think it might be a little bit overhyped. Um, mm-hmm. simply because of its novelty, simply because uh, uh, people don't really uh, truly understand what it is and therefore there is just this, this huge gap in, in terms of informational gap and then therefore, you know, you you, you have people paying um, insane amount for it, right? So so that is at least uh, what I thought. I think one example could be the recent uh, song, The um, We Can Achieve versus uh, The Count On Me, Singapore. I'm not sure if you're aware. So basically, Count On Me, Singapore is actually a a National Day song that's written in um, 1985. Or is it 83? 85, I think it's (laughs)
3: 83.
1: Yeah, okay. So 1985, and then someone in India uh, uh, with an almost identical song, right? Uh, So they they just replaced the word Count On Me, Singapore uh, to Count On Me, India, right? Uh, and then he said that he created his song in 1983, right? So, so there was this huge, uh, the back of, uh, I mean, huge, huge controversy that came mm. out, right, on social media, at least in this in this part of the world. Uh, who who created what? How do you prove it, right? The Indian guy said that, oh, you know, uh, a lot of my, my my proof of work has been washed away by the flood mm. uh, in in Mumbai, and and and. Um, yeah, so so with NFTs, if it was then and there, you created it and, and and generated an NFT to prove that hey, this is the original song, um, that might, you know, kind of uh uh, uh you know, reduce the cost of verification, verifying mm. a particular owner, particular or like origin of a particular song, right? So so yeah, uh, there is you know inherent value in in, in NFTs, I believe. Yeah, just the, the quantum is the one that we have to. You know be careful about like how much you actually, yeah, Is it supposed to be valued?
0: Yeah.
2: Got it. I think, uh, so NFTs that is called is this ERC seven two one standard, if I remember correctly. Uh, it's nothing new, and in fact, every Singaporean has one. So the search uh format is actually basically an NFT. Uh, mm. it's, it's a bit different, but it's on Ethereum, right? Uh, I think that's the benefit of NFTs, as Brian mentioned, right? Proving ownership, right? Proving ownership is a very difficult problem uh, because of the global nature of things these days. But you... (laughs) I mean, how do you prove ownership of like a video or a picture? I think there is irrational exuberance here. But also, I think it might be... It might be misguided in a sense that People just see the prices and the headlines just report the prices, but people aren't stupid. There is a reason why the prices are so high. Um, I think the best, and I'm not sure if I'm getting this right, but I remember there's a people artwork that somebody bought for oh, don't know how many million. This entrepreneur, what they are actually doing is similar to what Grayscale is doing with Bitcoin. So NFTs are digital art, right? It's a it's no different from uh, another company that we work with, Fijix and Digital Gold. Right, or or any other sort of real life asset that is tokenized onto the blockchain, right? What this person is doing is he is just accumulating digital art, and then creating his own digital art index, and people can buy into the index, and he's gaining back the sixty nine million in very very quickly. So people don't realize this, but actually, uh, it, it's not it's not a stupid move; it's a business move. Mm. Like if I'm not sure which philosopher it was but remember the guy who bought up all of the olive presses before olive season I think that's the same idea when you buy up all of the different digital art pieces suddenly you are sort of beast again
3: mm-hmm. you, are suddenly
2: you created your own marketplace your own marketplace and now you can buy and sell digital art as and when you feel like I'm not sure if this is going to be their play but it's not impossible either uh, because there is the same thing has happened in cryptocurrencies right where you have Massive centralization with Coinbase, Gemini, these large crypto exchanges where people, you know, put their money there and be like, oh okay, this crypto is really quite secure. History tells me that I think, you know, one or two of them are gonna collapse. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
2: Uh what was it again? Empty Gox, right? That Mom crashed Mom the whole God. Bitcoin price. Right? That that was like two thousand and twelve or something, right? Where the whole exchange disappeared. People until now are still getting for the SEC to return them Bitcoin, I <laughs> think <laughs> there's still like 4,000 left or something, right? There's so much centralization with this, and I think that's happening. Uh, mm. Well, that's a slight digression. So back to NFTs, right? Um, NFTs are a fun thing to play with, right? Uh, if they truly can be clearly represented with that store of value, so for open search, right, it's backed by, like, you know the certificate, the the, the ID is packed by like Singapore government servers, right? When you go in, you check the certificate is really there, right? There is a real use case for having all of our certificates to be on uh, this this open search format.
3: Mm.
2: In digital art, there was one very simple example that tells you the risks of NFTs, right? Even though they might say okay, I use the ERC 721 thing, not a lot of people can read code, right? So you don't actually go in and check. Sometimes they change it, they add they add a piece of code inside that you don't know you know they might include something that you, you you didn't check or you're not sure these NFT marketplaces you know people are just trying to chase the price you don't go and verify it yourself which defeats the whole purpose of like decentralization and open sourcing it, right like this just doesn't make any sense and more importantly I think um, when you look at NFTs what happens is that it's not implemented properly also I think there was an artist that pulled the rug on all of the people who bought his NFTs by literally replacing the image with a rock, So there is an entire collection of NFTs of just pictures of rocks, And they're like, hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to do a Banksy on you and shred the artwork in front of you. Mm-hmm. So I think you got to be careful. Uh, and until, maybe uh, I'm more conservative or something, but maybe, you know, until this can be better controlled, or at least there are the easier ways for people to check what exactly you are buying, and not just trust decentralized marketplaces like I don't know what Mintable. Then things will cool down a bit.
0: Yeah. it's fascinating that you brought up just kind of how easy it is to actually manipulate it there's the lack of information there there's just there's just so many I think unknown factors which which is why I'm a little worried about it because I I do think the long-term value is there I'm uh work a lot with people in the music industry and one huge problem with musicians and and content creators and all these is that it's very hard to authenticate and track your value across I mean it's funny because we went from an era of like LimeWire and Napster and all these things to illegally get stuff for free and now we're going towards the realm of like no, let's track it from start to finish and prove that my content has value. And if you're using it anywhere at a bar, you're streaming it or whatever it is, I need to get my my cut for that. Um, I, I think it's heading in the right directions, giving value back to those that created, because there's a huge gap between creators and then those that consume. I think people don't recognize that. Um, and it, that's why a lot of musicians early stage are, they struggle a lot is because unless you start having additional deals of revenue on the site, you don't make money for your music almost ever um so it, it's just this gap but I, I think it's just super fascinating just to see how um irrational we are about uh blockchain and, and blockchain technologies and everything and we're just so driven by like the headlines and, and what they're stating and, and where things are going um which kind of breeds me uh, brings me to the um main kind of close out of this is, is the education of blockchain right so how should we go about educating you know the upcoming stars of the world of blockchain how do we get them to understand you know solutions they can like problems that they can solve via blockchain solutions the complications with blockchain and actually understand the research behind it because we we we're nowhere when it comes to the research of blockchain in my opinion i think we are just so early stages there's so much application to it that we're not even considering right now um, so how do we actually educate the next generation of those that are going to go in the world of blockchain?
1: Um, well, maybe let me just uh, share a little bit of what we have done, right? Uh, our part, right, in, in uh, trying to, to educate the next generation. Or in fact, the current generation or the older mm. generation, right? So uh, we've conducted multiple workshops and talks, right? All in aim of helping people understand better what blockchain is what it can be used for and most importantly, what it cannot or should not be used for. What are the considerations behind uh, leveraging on this technology? Like I mentioned, uh, the business case behind, you know, blockchain, you shouldn't, I mean, you shouldn't blockchain everything. There is no need to because uh, uh, there are other ways you can, you can meet your current solution uh, um, at, at a particular price point, right? So, you know, business owners, business uh, or, or potential entrepreneurs, right? We, we we try to help them understand the considerations, right? Uh, what are the pros and what are the cons as with most technology, right? There are yeah. pros and cons and what are the alternatives? Um, so, but that is from a very high touch perspective, right? Because, we, you know, you have to conduct workshops. There's only a limited of hours a day that you can do such thing, And uh, I think that was also why we kind of conceptualize OpenNotes as well, OpenNotes.com, um, for us to, uh, uh, create a more um i would say inclusive right uh, uh, ecosystem for people to be able to understand um, um blockchain from a more use case perspective right and of course you know the content is crowdsourced anyone can actually you know put up content and but at its core what it's trying to do it's trying to make this information digestible and understandable from for, from for non-technical folks like myself Right. um what are considerations pros and cons what are the things that other people have explored tried doing um what's the output and stuff like that yeah so i guess from an education standpoint right it's about you know the beyond the, the technical knowledge and technical know-how right it's also through the considerations behind the pros and cons the business value uh, uh um helping pe- you know business owners entrepreneurs or people who have ideas right mm. ideas men. Right, to, 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 to see it, yeah.
2: I think we need to have people with less vested interest in blockchain teach blockchain.
3: Mm.
2: So, mm. for track, for example, we are an ecosystem builder it's a bit different from somebody who runs an exchange. Uh, I think a lot of blockchain education is uh, exchange driven. I don't know how to put it. <laughs> I mean, when you see like Gemini, oh blockchain, right? There's always Gemini Edu- Educate, uh, Binance Academy. Uh, I don't know, there's so many of these, like, academies that teach people cryptocurrency first. Mm-hmm. And the other day I was looking at my, my Binance ad course, I was just curious what's happening, right? And like, this is your daily challenge, trade this much of USD, Tether, uh, leverage, or margin. I forgot what it was, but I was just thinking, this is dangerous! How is this my daily challenge? It's a thousand bucks you're asking me to put in for a reward of two USD. I was like, what? There's no return to this. Right. That is like,
1: the challenge. How do you not lose all your thousand dollars? How do you lose? not lose your money? That's the challenge.
2: Because I think by today's session, you can already tell to get into blockchain, you need to understand a lot of things. Right? How the yeah. internet works, a bit of economics, a bit of incentives, a bit of like networking, a bit of like development tools, trends, history of technology. Like, there's so much you got to do to go in, which I think makes it really fun. Right? But not everybody is here for fun or, you know, has the, the, the interest in all all of this, right? So maybe something more digestible will help. Uh, actually, there's a lot of these uh, tools out there that help you learn. Uh, people generally recommend MIT's course, Blockchain at Berkeley's course, Crypto Zombies. Uh, I, I think I even did one on uh, open notes. It's a horrible name. It's self-paste dash course.opennotes.com Because <laughs> <laughs> it's an experiment, right? Just teach people like how do you uh utilize uh blockchain technology. And at the end of the course, the challenge is for you to put your name onto a uh, testnet mm. and then send me an email and then I can get you to join this living club. <laughs> and that was just for fun, right? But I think in general we need more of these things mm. that are not so technical, right? Because it's Yes, you know, it's important to know the technology side of things but the barrier to entry is so high and that defeats the whole democratization of technology part. So what if there's internet all over if you don't have your your, your phone to to connect to, right? You you cannot use, you cannot harness the benefits of this technology, then you might as well not have it. Mm. When it comes to education, uh, I think it always starts from the intent, right? Like, why, why do you want to learn about this? If you're learning about this to make a quick buck, then th- that's not going to work, right? Mm. If you're learning about this to think how the mediums of exchange are transforming, right? In this new world, right? I mean, just following the different Ethereum improvement proposals, right? ERC-20 created the ICO boom. ERC-721 created the NFT boom. What are the, some of the other ERCs that exist, right? There's one more that's creating subscription models on the blockchain. So many things that I think people can get educated about and they could give it a shot. Right? I think for digital artists, probably a subscription model thing might work. Mm-hmm. Consensus Diligence was using it for a couple of years, really, for their digital tools, right? where you can use their, their security tool and you just pay, I think, for access on a smart contract. Right? I think that's that's something that will be quite important uh, to do that whole technology translation part. Right? So, uh, I think in technology, like, who writes it down wins, right? That like, you get the right history. So, the good thing about open source is that everybody likes to document, or, or not likes, but we tend to document. <laughs> we write things down, right? And there's always proper, formal documents, but they're not very accessible. So, I think something really good was, like, Ethereum's yellow paper or something. This is, like, a white paper. There's Ethereum yellow paper, which I think strips it of its technical terms and makes it very accessible to tell you, like, okay, what exactly is a uh, infinite world state machine. Like, none of these things are non-technical other than world. Right? Mm. So, these little, I I guess, micro-optimizations to help make things a bit more digestible will really help. But also, from a curiosity perspective, I think people need to be more curious about what you're doing. I think this is also happening uh, now. Like, we are a bit more curious about, hey, what's the carbon footprint of this? Mm -hmm. Where's my food coming from? Right now we have the luxury of asking these kind of questions. I don't see why it shouldn't apply to the technology we use, right? Like, what, where is this search going? What data are you collecting? Right. There's a general sort of awakening to the technology that we are using because it's becoming more and more insidious. Like right? mm-hmm. things are not so obvious anymore. I mean, you don't want to end up like a Neo Tokyo cyberpunk kind of world where <laughs> you know everything is <laughs> like, wow. I don't want to be a net runner. <laughs> So, I guess a mixture of a both uh, both ends of the market have to work out. Curiosity and neutral educators. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah.
0: I, I, I think it's a, an interesting point that you brought up, which is the, the concept of neutral educators and, and, and having people... Like, I, I think the reason why blockchain is just so out of reach is the ones that are teaching it. The, I, I think there's two fundamental problems to the education of it. One, it's taught purely to computer science students. If there's no curiosity that allows for, like, you know... From different disciplines to even get immersed into it because if you get a taste of this of like a business student that's you know conceptualizing they might come up with a great business model idea for it then they can work with engineers to, you know create it and make it actually come to life um i think that part's missing the ecosystem is it, it is and it, it's complicated I, I get it like that's why you have to start with cs programs i understand you have educated first but I, I think that's one is like they should give more like use case samples and teach this in business schools and all these I think that would help it and then as for who is teaching it I do think that it should be those that are not so caught up in what exists today because the future is not today and like what we're creating out of this technology shouldn't be taught by those that think that they know it all because that's a very dangerous mindset that doesn't create any innovation or anything out of it Um, so I think those that can understand the technology and talk about it but aren't tied into these industries that exist today I think that is a very important piece of that pie so that it's not biased <laughs> of how we're educating <laughs> the next generation of this technology and saying that this is the best way to do it. I, I think more curious minded individuals will create such great innovation as we head forward. Um, it's always so fascinating to hear like the younger generations, like even 13 and 14 year olds that are like, even though they're doing NFTs and like, you know, still a problem. But aside from that, at least they're getting curious about NFTs and like trying it out and trying different things and learning about the world of it at a young age, because then once they do get older, they might want to make an innovation, actual idea out of it overall. Um, But yeah, so I mean, we dug into a lot of stuff around blockchain, uh, very complicated world. Um, The way that we always end the show, um, it's up to both of you if you want to share a different story, but we always end with failure stories. Reasoning for that is because one thing I really want to showcase to aspiring students is that if you want to make it in the real world, it's not easy. There's a lot of pitfalls. There's a lot of mistakes that you make, but you learn from those and that's how you end up prospering. Um, so we always end with a failure story. It's completely up to what you would like to share. Um, but the floor is yours. Uh, either of you gentlemen have any stories to share.
1: Uh,
0: yeah, maybe I can
1: go first. Uh, so I, I think that it's a very, very good point that you're making, right? Uh, because the, the path to success uh, or, or success in relative, right? Uh, it's, it's not always a straight line. Um, so so personally I've encountered a lot of failures I don't even know where to start from but since this topic is about blockchain there is one particular blockchain that I like to, uh, a blockchain story that I like to share um, which was I think in about 2016 right um, or basically quite early in the whole blockchain life cycle right mm-hmm. um, my previous startup uh, Fixer um, which was actually uh, working on you know, how we can better prove uh, a particular car part, part, right, uh, is, you know, original. Because you don't want a scenario where you are buying um, um, car parts and then it's fake, it's, it's, it's not original and then it becomes dangerous, right, mm-hmm. uh, things can go wrong. So, so that particular startup, is, uh, that was one of the pieces that we are working on and we actually did explore uh, using blockchain, right, um back then there wasn't so much of the cryptocurrency hype right Mm -hmm. it was purely from a necessity standpoint right how can we ensure that uh because there's multiple requirements right if you understand the car parts uh industry right you have the oem the makers right all the way down to the distributors there are many many you know stakeholders involved in this entire supply chain Right? how do we ensure that at every point of time the right parts the original part is the one being brought along all the way to the consumer So we were trying to explore that um, and and, um, it didn't work. We spent a lot of time on it and uh, in the end, the the startup didn't take off, right? So I spent like good two years of my life uh, trying to work on it a lot of time and and, and barely any income, right? Mm. But because of that, right, um, when we first started Tribe Accelerator, I had an understanding that the technology can be used for much more than cryptocurrency because that, that particular instance right I knew that hey there is a whole other world out there that we need to anchor on and that we need to help to build. and that was kind of one of the, 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 the one of the key inspirations behind it. So when you are you know at that point, right you may think that oh man I'm such a failure, I wasted so much on my team's effort I wasted so much time and uh, I investors money and stuff like that. but retrospect without that touch point, I wouldn't I might not have you know gotten this kind of uh, uh, appreciation for the technology yeah so yeah so do, 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 I, I guess the, the, the aim of the story is, is you know, don't be afraid to try and don't be afraid to fail because you never know when this might become useful in the future yeah,
0: yeah absolutely that's a that's a really great story and that really kind of hits home on the concept of um, like, if you don't put yourself out there, you don't really know what exists. And I, I think yeah. that is a struggle for a lot of students. They hold themselves back because they're like, I don't want to deal with that, you know, like that shame of failing, whatever. But it's like, no, if you don't put yourself out there, you don't really know what your potential is and what you can potentially reach uh, with your career. Uh, QC, you got a story for us? Yeah, so I think here's my take on failure itself first. Yeah, uh,
2: I think one of my favorite professors, so Prof Douglas from SUTV. me because we were were preparing for a competition and when you do something wrong when you're preparing when you have these little tweaks right don't take it personally it's just data Mm. that really stuck with me Uh, and so one of my failure stories in blockchain uh there are just so many um but i think the first time i was doing research right we have you ever entered a room with six professors and just have tongue twisted and not sure what you do? <laughs> so this yeah. is a, a small type of failure, right? But because, I I don't know why, but I've always been fascinated with this technology because of the benefits it can bring. And throughout time, every single time I try something, you got to fail once. Like, every single thing you do. I remember writing a paper uh, a team of mine, uh, uh, Jin, Latasha, uh, Shrein, and my prof, Sunjun, uh Ivan. Six people. Uh, Lin Yun All these folks came together to write a paper about Bitcoin's vulnerabilities uh, And we say it three times Nothing ever beats you when you get a rejection And you get weak reject, we reject We accept All the way until you get Accept, we accept, we accept And that's when you finally get your own paper published And that took a whole year A whole year of looking at the same eight pages Right, tiny font <laughs> Tweaking <laughs> But it's just data Right. Every single time I get feedback from these professors, I learn how to write better. I learn how to explain better. And that's just one, right? Um, I remember once I was trying to apply for an internship. I think this is more relevant to students, with uh, consensus, diligence, right? It wasn't anybody's fault. We just couldn't go overseas. There were just some issues. Uh, couldn't get the visa and all that. And it didn't work out, right? But because of that, I stayed in Singapore. And because of being in Singapore, I met Yiming from Tribe, just Ryan's managing, <laughs> and that's the story of sort of how I I I managed to get into chat because I failed to get into consensus. So I think it's a bit interesting in a sense because when you look back, you know Steve Jobs said like you know when you connect the dots backwards it always works, right? <laughs> I see it a bit differently, in the sense that of course it connects. Time is linear. You live in a single thread. There's no possible way that you could have any other connections, right? But What's most important is when you fail, right? don't think of it as a break in the chain, right? it's just another stepping stone to another place and just keep going. Right? I think as long as you keep going, right, then you will always fail more and because you do, you learn the best lessons. I think that's really my approach because uh, I mean coming from Singapore, right, I think we tend to be very uh, risk averse, regret minimization, right, and failure or, or at least the, the Possibility of failing is, is is always looming. I mean, even I mean, I feel affected by it sometimes when I do my paper. Like, how would four undergrads, five undergrads, manage to publish at an international conference? The chances of failure are very high. In fact, expect to fail. Then when it happens, oh, that's just part of it. Okay, what do we do next? Right, and there's that fun. Right, hang out late, have a drink, have some popcorn, and move on the next day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I love that. I mean, it's it's so important to kind of, as you brought up, it's like you have to just keep pushing forward. Uh, you're going to deal with this anyways in life. Uh, the faster you learn to deal with it, the more happy you're going to be as a person. Like, we are going to go through it. Um, if, if you try to stay away from it, it's still going to eventually probably happen to you. And then when it does, you you don't know how to react to it because you've been, you know, staying away from it for so long um, in the constant overall. But I mean overall i appreciate both the stories it really it kind of hits home to the point we're trying to get across here when it comes to failure stories and, and the importance of learning from those lessons how your mindset is in those moments and how you can think about it differently and it's really your perspective on the situation failure is not a permanent state it is a state that you're in at that moment it's up to you how you decide to react to it um you can either just you know be mad about it your entire life or you can just take it as a learning lesson and move on um and go on to the next great activity um, but overall I've very much enjoyed this conversation about blockchain the world where it's going um, in the future what we can have here uh, with this great innovation the future bright minds that, that are coming about um, is there any final closing thoughts of uh, either you gentlemen you want to share before we end today's show um,
1: yeah I, I, I think I think that the note to end is don't be afraid to try right like don't be afraid to explore be curious you know um, and 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 really put yourself out there in order to experience things, get your hands dirty. So I think that would be, at least for when we talk about nascent technology, that would be what I would like to, you know, end end this session off with, yeah.
3: Mm,
2: I think my closing words would be, aspire to do more, I think. Uh, Blockchain is the current fair. I think there will be many more interesting technologies coming along the way. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid to really dive deep because i don't know i i dive recreationally and usually when you go deeper that's where you see the most interesting things like blue ring octopuses <laughs>
0: yeah that's it for me. i think that's great i, I think that's a uh, yeah something more ryan no, no, no thank you so much for having us yeah no yeah, absolutely it's been a fantastic conversation great insights great great advice um Hopefully we can have you on later down the line when it comes to maybe your next cohort and talk about some great innovation coming out of Tribe. Um, but as for those tuning in, especially Luis, who I purposely didn't have on the show. By the way, I usually have a co-host, but my co-host always gives me crap for talking about blockchain all the time because I'm yeah. so fascinated by it. And he's he's uh, he's the um, he's the person that sees the value of it, but he 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 likes to really buy into the hype. So he 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 likes Dogecoin and all these things. But uh, I hope you tuned in and uh, learned a little bit about blockchain in the future where it really can go. Uh, but overall, um, hope those that tuned in learned something new today. And if there is any questions, um, I'm happy. Please, please put them in the, you know, during the chat and afterwards put them into the description because we can have a follow up sometime in the future and, and go into those questions anybody might have about the world of blockchain. But thank you for tuning in to The Brew. That's been a great episode for today. Thank you for tuning in to The Brew. Subscribe to our email newsletter on thebrew.tv. Be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and we will see you next time.